Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our February episode of Three Things. I wonder if we have different energy today because we always record in the afternoon. And right now we're recording in the morning, first thing in the morning on a Monday. So I feel like more sedate than I usually do. I don't know if that's good or bad. I guess it depends on the topics (laughs) that you've brought for us, maybe. Did you bring more calm, peaceful topics or did you bring more chaotic topics or both? Should I just tell you what I what I brought? Sure. Okay. Yeah, go for it. So the things I wanted to talk to you about are number one, first and foremost, Renaissance Act Two, the new Beyonce album that is coming. Mm, okay. Two, I'd like to talk to you about pastries. Nice. I'm with you on that. Sounds great. And then third, I need to share this anecdote about Paul Giamatti and Cher that has been haunting me. I, you know, I don't think you know this about me, but I love Paul Giamatti. So oh, well, I love Cher. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. What have you brought? Okay. So I think mine are pretty tame. The first thing will not surprise anyone. I need to talk about the Netflix series one day, Okay, which has consumed my entire being. And it's also a book. So, you know, literary crossover there. I also want to talk about this article on Vox that you might have seen going around called Everyone's a Sellout Now. Have you heard of this? I have. Okay, great. And the third thing I want to talk about is just something light and fun, but I wanted to talk about acts of self-kindness and how you practice self-kindness in your life because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Okay. So it is kind of a tame, cozy bunch of things. And also Paul Giamatti. And Paul Giamatti. (laughs) Well, let's get into some highs and lows. Olivia, what is your high? Well, we were just talking about this before we hit record, sort of. But my high is that I have been posting for a year as of last week on Substack, which is really fun because I just feel like it's been this incredible outlet for me. It's allowed me to like stop doing some of the work that wasn't that fulfilling to me and focus on writing, which was my goal for last year. And I just... I don't know. It's just been such a pleasure like writing every week and having the platform and also discovering other writers, supporting other writers, just something that isn't TikTok or Instagram. Like it's been so wonderful. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. I've loved getting your Substack. In my head, it felt like longer than a year. Does it feel longer to you? Sort of, I guess. I mean, I have been sending out sort of regular newsletters before that. But I guess this was the year that I really like tried to prioritize it more or build it out or be a little more creative. So yeah, it feels good though. I got my yearly renewal notice and I was like, yes, I will pay Olivia for her content. (laughs) Thank you for your support. I'm also now a paid subscriber to your Substack, which I'm really excited about. And if anyone hasn't subscribed to Becca's Substack paid or otherwise, you should. It's lovely there. Also the Substack app, Highly recommend in the morning instead of scrolling on somewhere else. It's just such a good feeling. I really recommend it. Yeah. What's your high? My high is that I took a little trip to San Francisco last week. I was gone Wednesday through Monday. I went because my friend Ashley invited me out there to spend Thanksgiving with her and her family, which was so kind of her. And I ultimately didn't go because Thanksgiving is so expensive to travel. But I was like, I'll just find a weekend to come out there 
and hang out with her and her. She has two young kids. And so this was the weekend that I picked. So I went out there and I used to live in San Francisco. So I have a lot of San Francisco people. And ironically, I have a bunch of friends who have moved to San Francisco. So I just, I feel like I have a a lot of important people in my life who are in San Francisco. So I had a real grab bag of a trip. I stayed in three different places. I went out on Wednesday and I had dinner and drinks with my friend Jackie and I stayed in the city that night. It's such an interesting experience because I lived in San Francisco in 2011 and 2012 and it's so different since I lived there. So it is nostalgic, but it also is anthropological when I am there. And I'm like, (laughs) this society that I used to live in, like what has changed? Everything. (laughs) Yeah. And then I went out to the East Bay and I stayed with my friend Ashley and her family for a few nights and got to hang out with her kids, which was really fun. The last time I was there, well, she was pregnant with her second kid and her first kid was almost two. And he was very much in like stranger danger mode. And he was very afraid of me (laughs) versus this time he was like in motor mouth show off mode. And he was like, let me tell you about all my trucks. And like, here's everything that I've ever seen and heard. And like, it was very fun. (laughs) We did a lot of crafts. We built a lot of train tracks. And then I went back into the city for my last night there and hung out with my friend Lauren. And she has a daughter who's two. So it was very much like getting to see my friends and their kids. And it's so, I mean, it's fun to get to hang out with their kids. I don't want kids of my own, but like I enjoy hanging out with children, but it also, as long as I can like give them back, Um, but it also, (laughs) yeah, I think that's key. (laughs) It's so fun and interesting to see my friends who I knew from a different part of their lives, like as parents. Well, that sounds really fun and really lovely and uh, kind of busy, but nice. Yeah, it was definitely a trip, not a vacation. And you know, my goal this year has been to, be more thoughtful about travel. And I booked this in uh, 2023. So this kind of like got grandfathered in and it did take me out of my routine, but I am really glad that I went. Good. What's your low? Oh my God, Olivia. I am procrastination city. Procrastination city, population me. (laughs) So the Friday before I went out to San Francisco, I got feedback on my book draft from my agent and because I had this trip, I got it on a Friday, I talked to her on Monday, and then I left for San Francisco on a Wednesday. So it was like my goal while I'm in San Francisco is just going to be to like get my plan together, reread, like figure out what I'm going to do for this draft. Mm-hmm. And then I got back last Monday and I'm having trouble getting back into work mode. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, well, it's a different type of work too. Well, I guess it's still revising, right? What you've been doing. Yeah. Well, I think so last draft, I, Rekeyed, like I retyped the whole thing. And especially in the back half, like I fully rewrote chapters versus this time, I think the changes that I'm making, I still have a ton of big changes to make, but I do think that the editing is slightly more surgical. And a lot of it, which is a challenge I haven't really faced before, is this book is too long. So with the Christmas Orphans Club, my early drafts were really short. And so I was adding. And so in this, I'm both trying to add things, but then figuring out what I can take away because it's already too long. So it's an interesting challenge. I think I'm just daunted. So I just need to get a few good days behind me. Do you think editing it down is harder than adding? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I I think... I would agree. 
that I lack perspective too. And it's like the kill your darlings thing of, you know, you see something and you're like, oh, but I love this. And it's hard to know what to cut because I I don't have like the 10,000 foot view. Yeah. And it's like, it's probably good what you have, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's like pertinent or <laughs> it's necessary, which is tough, I feel like. Yeah. What about your low? My low is that I'm just going to say it's a cold. I've had a cold for a week. We were supposed to record this last week and I started getting a sore throat and had like sinus issues. And I was like, oh, I sound kind of weird. <laughs> I got to Monday and I was like, well, still sound kind of weird, but hopefully it's like on the the end of it. Cause like, I'm trying to just be patient with myself, but like, I'm starting to get frustrated, you know, but I've heard a lot of people are sick right now. So, you know, maybe it's just that time of year. Yeah. Well, let's take an ad break and then let's get into some things. So this is a kind of weird question, but I think we all do it. Do you ever just go back and look at old photos of yourself? Yes. Yeah. The reason I've been doing this is because I've been trying to clean out my camera roll and I've been just taking a tour through the years. And truly, one of the most striking things I've noticed is about how much better my hair looks after switching to pros. I'm not exaggerating. Ever since I switched to my pros custom formula shampoo and conditioner, my hair is just so much shinier and fuller and it looks healthier. Not just to me, I think. Like I think it is noticeable. And I also love that it's enabled me to stretch time between my washes because my hair doesn't get as greasy as quickly. It all starts with their in-depth hair quiz. You answer questions about your styling routine and hair goals, but also about some less expected things like your exercise routine, eating habits, and hair damage level. With those answers, they analyze over 85 personal factors to create your perfect formula. Also, some additional advice, get the Corsica scent because it is crafted with peonies and Anjou pears and it makes every shower just smell absolutely amazing and just so luxurious. The other thing I love about pros is that my hair has never gotten used to it, even after four years of using it. And I think that's in large part due to their review and refine feature. After each order, you tell them how they did and they make tiny tweaks to your formula to make it even better. And it's risk-free. If you're not 100% positive Pros is the best hair care you've had, they'll take the products back, no questions asked. Custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 50% off your first subscription order today, plus 15% off and free shipping every subscription order after that. Go to pros.com slash BOP. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 50% off your first subscription order. Let's get into the things. Olivia, kick us off with your first thing. All right. I watched one day on Netflix this weekend in its entirety from start to finish a small break for lunch. And I saw there's an Instagram grid post of your <laughs> it made the uh, grid <laughs> of you going through the peaks and valleys of watching this. You can experience Olivia's experience of this. <laughs> yes, you really can. But in case you need more, I'm here to talk about it. But for anyone who somehow doesn't know, this is the story of two people who kind of hook up one night in college and then become really good friends after that. And it's like 
basically their their relationship and friendship and love story over the course of 20 years. And the show is 14 episodes, but they range from like 15 minutes to 40 minutes, which is kind of interesting. But it was a movie with Anne Hathaway and Jim Sturgis. And it was also a book by, I think his name is David Nichols. It was very popular. Becca, have you read or watched this in any form? So I have not watched the newest one. I have read the book and I have seen the Anne Hathaway movie. And I had a fairly negative experience of both, not because I didn't enjoy it, but because I was so enraged when the thing that makes you cry happened that I feel like I actually think I read this on Kindle. So I did not throw my Kindle across the room, but like I wanted to throw something out a window. So Uh, I'm curious how my experience will be this time, fully knowing where it is going. I'm going to watch it. I I intend to watch it. I do just know that I need to be in a mental space to do that to myself. I have vague recollections of the movie. I've never read the book, but I did remember that it ends sadly, which that isn't really a spoiler because I think you should really go in. I was going to say, if anything, it's a gift to know that. (laughs) Just know that. And if for some reason you're like, can I handle that? Just stop. The answer is no. You can't handle it. If you have concerns, (laughs) just say no until you have the strength. When you're watching the the show and you're like, wow, things are really going well. Stop it right then. Just like, just cut yourself off, like save yourself. But I personally like love the experience of like just a gut wrenching, soul crushing, like you're gasping for air crying moment. I find it very cathartic. Which is why um, you love about time. <laughs> exactly. The this saddest is sadder. Movie of this all is time. sadder. This is so much sadder. I'm telling you. But I had seen people talking about this. I think I saw this recommended on Alicia Ramos's newsletter. And I really love stuff she recommends. And I was I was sick. I was like, I'm just going to lay in bed all day. And I had no expectations, really. I turned this on. And from the first episode, I was like, this is for me. Like someone was like, Olivia Mentor is out there and she will love this. Like from start to finish, it is so wonderful. The acting, especially the main guy who is in White Lotus season two, which I think you have seen, right? I've only seen part of it. Okay. I haven't seen it, but apparently he's like a fuck boy in it. I don't <laughs> I don't know. He's incredible. The, the acting is just incredible. I have seen the criticism that the two leads don't have that much chemistry, but I disagree. I think they do. And I think it's beautiful. And I like want to watch it this week again. Oh, wow. With Jake. (laughs) You're like, I'd like to rip my husband's heart out. (laughs) Oh, man. It is just so well done. Like, it reminded me a lot of past lives. Like, it's very subtle, but also just like, you're like, just your heart is wrecked by the end of it. It just, it's wonderful. I love it so much. Well, I have a companion to recommend to this. So do you follow Farrah Store on Substack? I don't think so. She's a UK journalist. I think she works at Elle and she has a Substack and she shared over the weekend at some point her own one day love story of this similar friends to lovers love story. And it is I saw this on on Substack this morning. I saw it and I didn't have time to read it. It's like my real life. Yes. 
Um, okay. 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 Without a, Wait, without sad? a sad, no, 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 without a sad okay. ending, but it, it is like a, a similar friends to lovers, slow burn romance and reading people's real life love stories. It like makes my heart race when people have like a great, how did they get together story? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to read that. Cause like I went straight from one day to love is blind, the new season. Uh, and yes. like, that was not smart. In my mind, I was like, I'm just going to go for something lighter. Like, no, I was like, I need those characters again in my life. I need the settings. I need Italy at sunset and England at dawn. I don't know. I just needed it. So I'm going to check that out because that sounds very lovely. It's very cute. What is your first thing? My first thing is the imminent release of Renaissance Act 2 by Beyonce. In case you did not see, Beyonce announced a new album in a Verizon commercial during the Super Bowl. And then she dropped two singles. And the album is going to be a country album. And I am so hyped for this. I cannot wait. So first I need to know, have you listened to the songs Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages? And do you have thoughts? I have listened to both of them, but not in their entirety. Olivia, However, I, I need to say doing I am in bed. <laughs> Watching one day and crying and then watching Love is Blind. I feel like 16 Carriages could also make you cry. Okay, I'm going to listen to it because I'm a huge Daddy Lessons fan. Okay. So I'm pretty excited for this myself. I'm so excited. I like Texas Hold'em a lot. I love 16 Carriages, which I feel like a lot of people missed because that was the one that she originally only released on YouTube and Apple Music. And then it didn't get to Spotify until kind of like late in the week. So okay, that explains it. I feel like people have maybe like missed that one, but I'm also fascinated by this whole thing. So first of all, incredible, already making history. She is the first black woman to hold the number one spot on the country charts on Apple Music ever. And she was holding both number one and number two for both of the songs last week. I don't know if the Billboard Hot 100 has come out, but she was like in contention for number one for that. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's already history making, which is incredible. But I find this so fascinating because when she announced Renaissance in 2022, it was announced as a three-part album and like conceptually about reclaiming historically Black parts of music and kind of like reclaiming that. And the first part of Renaissance was like 90s dance music kind of. And then this is country music. And she said when she announced it that she had recorded all of these during the pandemic. And I just, I need to know if Beyonce has been kind of just like sitting, watching anything that happens in music and just like diabolically penting her fingers and being like, it's all about to change. Like I'm about to change the face of music. Like this feels music history changing, you know? That's how I felt about Lemonade, which totally, I still can't believe that didn't win album of the year, but this kind of, reminds me of that. Like, I feel like the world kind of stopped for a second when the like visual music experience of Lemonade came out. Well, it's really interesting to me because I don't want to compare her to Taylor Swift, but I do think there's something interesting in that Taylor Swift had to leave country music in order to go mainstream. And beyond, there's no mm -hmm. one more mainstream than Beyonce. Like Beyonce yeah. is the artist and she's going to country. She will bring a mainstream fandom to this genre of music. And I think that's fascinating. 
Like, I wonder how this will change things. And also, like, how will this change club culture? Because I feel like Beyonce is so popular both in street clubs and then especially in gay clubs that it's like, are people going to be two-stepping now? Like, what's going to happen? Well, have you seen all those... TikToks and reels of the people doing like the line dancing that's so popular now. No. They do it to the Ed Sheeran song. Like every time it's to the Ed Sheeran song. Well, there's this thing where line dancing is very popular Interesting. now. Like country dancing in clubs. And so I imagine this is like the perfect kind of overlap with the I guess Beyonce so. country moment. I've been really surprised that I feel like a lot of the reactions to this that I've seen both online and then even within my friend groups has been negative. And I'm like, I'm so fucking amped what? for this. Oh my God. I, again, love daddy lessons, which is basically, this is very similar. And so I'm pumped. I think it's going to be great. Me too. I can't wait. And I wasn't as into the dance music stuff personally. I'm sure it's like technically amazing, but so I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad you're excited. Please listen to 16 carriages and report back. I will. I absolutely will. What's your next thing? My next thing is this article that I've been seeing everywhere. And I finally read called everyone's a sellout. And then the subtitle is, so you want to be an artist, do you have to start a TikTok? And this is by Rebecca Jennings, who writes about internet culture, among other things. And I love her work. But essentially, this whole article is talking about if you want to be a writer or you want to be a musician, like you have to have a personal brand. (laughs) Like You have to be selling yourself all the time and how this is like a different kind of landscape that has really ever existed within like the arts before and how complicated it is and how much creators are, and by creators, like writers, musicians are not making as much for their work, but then are expected to do all this work when it comes to promotion. So I wanted to know if you've read it and if you have thoughts about any of this. So I have read it and I've also read a lot of response takes to it. And I don't know how deep you are into like writer Substack or writer TikTok or something, but I do see a lot of people complaining and lamenting that so much of the pressure of promoting your work is on the author now and on an author's like personal brand and like having a following, which I recognize that I did not have to start from square one Mm -hmm. the same way that a lot of writers feel that they do. And so I already had a leg up there. And so... I don't know. I mean, at first, I'm a different kind of artist. I feel like I am not this like mysterious high art priestess, you know, the same way that (laughs) I imagine the woman who wrote Big Swiss is or something, you know, like somebody who's like, I just have this mysterious offline life. And like, I I don't want to share things because I'm like, I'm the opposite. I'm like, I'm kind of a basic bitch and I like enjoy sharing things. I'm not mysterious at all and like want to have these conversations online. So I was already sold out. Like I don't (laughs) feel as negatively about this as a lot of people who then are like, oh my God, now I have to get online and build a following do. But I thought there was a really interesting response take from the author Lee Stein, who has a substack called Attention Economy, where she writes a lot about the intersection of writers and social media. And I'll just like read a quote from it. She yeah, said, she's quoted in the article too. She is quoted in the Actually. article. Mm-hmm. And she said, the biggest question I had reading her piece was, where did anyone get the idea that it's easy to make an income from creating art or even that you deserve to make money from art? And I thought that was a really interesting take where it's Mm. like, 
maybe this is because of when I published my book where this was already an expectation. And I, I think I hear a lot of people lamenting that in previous iterations, like the publisher did much more legwork and now some of that is shifting to the author. And so I don't know. I did think that Lee's take on it of like, who told you it was going to be easy to do this? And it would just like yeah. blink and happen was interesting. Well, I don't know. What did you think of the article? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, there were a few like quotes that stood out to me, but I really did relate to, I believe she's quoted in the article saying something like, I try to think less about like how bad the media landscape is or how bad the self-promotion thing is. <laughs> and then instead, I just try to like make the best of it, which is kind of how I would land. But there's one quote towards the end of it Someone interviewed in the article says, if you're a little too knowledgeable about PR, you start to become way too aware of things like posting schedules and it's impossible to be punk anymore, which I'm not trying to be punk, nor I think are most writers. But there is this sense that like you have to be so in self-promotion and you have to have this personal brand to promote your work. At the same time, like I think because of the way the internet works, like there's something that people inherently don't want to see about that. <laughs> so mm. I have to wonder like how much it actually is worth it. Like unless you're that one person who goes viral on TikTok for, you know, their song or your book or whatever. I don't know if it actually moves the needle that much. Because I think as much as there's people who maybe don't even realize they're being sold to or whatever, like I think there's other people who don't like it and who the more self-promotion they see, the less they value like the thing that they're seeing, if that makes sense. Like the less appealing it is to them because they're being sold everything else so much. Like if it's an ad, it's kind of this thing of like when you see an influencer promote a product, yeah, maybe they like it, but like there's something in you that knows that they're only doing that to make money, of course. And so I don't know, it's complicated. Well, on the one hand, I do think it's harder than ever to grow a following because there's just so many places to look and like mm -hmm. attention is so fragmented. And I think so many people are trying to spend less time on these things that it's like harder to get somebody to follow you, to like listen to your podcast, to, to do any of these things. So I do think it's like a particularly hard time. But I do think that people do want to support artists in some way. And I'm thinking specifically, there was an author that had a book come out in September called The Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic. Her name's Brianne Randall. And I wish I had somewhere to like point to you for a case study on this, but she very successfully created this pre-order campaign and this buzz campaign for her own book on TikTok and was like very forthright about like, this is my debut book. That's like Gilmore Girls meets Practical Magic and like, here's why you'd like it. And I think people are really excited to root for an underdog sometimes. So I do think that by just being honest about what you're trying to do, there is a way to do it. And I think she was also very savvy. And I think TikTok is interesting because you can kind of just like repackage the same content over and over and over because it's going mm -hmm. to like the for you page, not to the people who follow you. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I, I do think that there's a way to do it that isn't cringe, even if you are just trying to make yeah. money. It's been interesting because like having done influencer work and still doing it sometimes, I've had the thought that like, now that we're leading up to my book coming out, like maybe I should just put like all the effort I put into like doing those campaigns for other brands every week. And I should like actually create content and plans and, and, you know, write it out for this book. And then there's something in me that like 
doesn't want to almost. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Like, this is the thing that you have spent all this time on, all this energy, all this effort, and you care about it so much more than those things. And like, maybe that's the hesitation in it. At the same time, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of pressure to just get self-promotion right. Like just the right amount of authenticity, but also effectiveness. <laughs> when if you're marketing something, it's inherently not that authentic. I don't know. It's it's difficult. I hear you. I think this topic is really interesting. I also feel like this kind of dovetails into, have you seen Tina Fey was on the Less Culturistas podcast, Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers yes. podcast. And there's yes. like a soundbite mm-hmm. that came out of that where... Tina Fey basically said authenticity is dangerous and expensive. And she was telling Bo and Yang that he's too famous to have opinions about movies, like shut up about things you don't like. And I do think that there's like related to what you're saying, like there are kind of rules to this that operate behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's like, people don't like it when you're too desperate. People don't like it when people want you to be negative about things, but then like people don't like when you're negative about things when it feels like you're punching down or so it's, I don't know. There's an interesting set of rules of engagement. Yeah. The quote in that article by Tavi Gevinson, she said, I think I'm a writer and an actor and an artist, but I haven't believed the purity of my own intentions ever since I became my own salesperson too. (laughs) And that really spoke to me as like, not that like, okay, here's the answer to all of this, but just it'll stick with me, I think. Tavi Gevinson is such an interesting case study too because she became oh, yeah. internet famous when she was so young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's hasn't she quit like Instagram and YouTube and... Yeah, she, I, I think she said she has like an assistant post for her whenever she has like promotional obligations. Ah, uh, what a luxury. <laughs> oh, I could talk about this topic forever. <laughs> Me too. But let's take an ad break and then get to your next thing. So I have a history as a hit or miss gift giver, but when I'm stumped and I want to give someone I love something personal, Framebridge is my absolute go-to. It is also my go-to for framing every single piece of art in my own home. So practice what you preach, I guess. Framebridge makes it easy and affordable to frame just about everything. I've talked about it here before, but for Christmas last year, I had a cocktail napkin framed from my brother from his favorite dive bar from where he used to live in Alaska. Jake and I had the original key to our house framed. Becca, I think you're a great gift giver, (laughs) gifted me a framed image of like logos of my favorite like Philly restaurants and spots. And... The point is you can have pretty much anything framed from Framebridge and it is super fast. They ship your finished frame directly to your house in days and the pricing is fair and transparent. It's based on the size of your piece so you can know exactly what you're going to pay up front. And I will say that I have found Framebridge to be so much more affordable than local framing stores as well. I also love that they have some funkier, brightly colored frames in like reds and greens and yellows if you want something poppy along with more classic styles. And they also have, and I think this is so genius, a series of custom gallery walls. So if you're looking to do a whole wall at your house, but you're overwhelmed by laying it out, you can pick one of their pre-made gallery walls, upload your own art or photos, and it even comes with a life-size hanging guide. 
and they have a happiness guarantee. So if you're not 100% happy with your piece for any reason, they will make it right. And I can say from experience, I have used this once when a piece came with just a tiny scratch on the frame. I messaged them and they immediately had sent out a new one. And it only made me more of a fan, to be honest. So visit framebridge.com or a retail store to custom frame just about anything. Again, that's framebridge.com to start your custom framing journey. Okay. I have a thing that I feel like you're going to have thoughts on. And that is pastries. So the reason that pastries is one of my thing is because I think I'm having some pastry confusion. So Mm. here in New York, when I want to get a carb heavy treat breakfast, it's a bagel. I go to my local bagel shop, get a bagel, sometimes just bagel and cream cheese, sometimes bagel with lox, sometimes bacon, egg and cheese. There's like endless varieties. So I don't usually participate in the pastry game. But when mm-hmm. I was in San Francisco, and I I don't know if this is because they don't have bagels or this is because they have young children and they're always out of the house so early. And so you need to like give yourself a little treat. I kept being confronted with like ordering a pastry. And I was like, I don't know what my pastry order is. I don't have a go-to locked and loaded here. I'm curious, you know, you are at a pastry shop, you're looking at a case, they have everything you could want. What is your go-to? So I think here's the issue that I face as well. I'm much more of a savory breakfast person than a sweet breakfast person. So I do struggle a bit, but as someone who has been going to a new local bakery every Friday for the past month, shout out to Mel, the bakery in Hudson. I am its own personal one woman PR team. Great. I mean, they have a whole, they're doing well. They don't need me, but I personally am obsessed with them. And also I met a listener there last week who told me how much she loved your book. So that oh. was lovely. Every week I get, they have a sub that's amazing. Then I get a loaf of bread for the week and then I get a pastry. So I've tried a bunch of different kinds. And I think my order has got to be, if I'm going sweet, a really good twice bake croissant. Like a chocolate croissant or an almond croissant. Or yeah, just like a plain. they have a pistachio oh. one that's so good. I think the key is it has to have some sort of like a cream in it because okay. a croissant otherwise to me is just too dry, too flaky. It's just not substantial enough. So like I like a like ham and cheese croissant too. Oh, but I'm always going to go savory. Like this place they have, I think it's a Bialy, but I'm not really sure. It's a pastry, but then they have lox and cream cheese and pickled vegetables. Hmm. Like just bury me with it. But yeah, I think just classic twice-baked croissant Mm. from Mel the Bakery. It has to be there. Do you have any thoughts or are you still experimenting? I'm I'm still experimenting. Have you eliminated anything? No, I don't. I don't know. Well, so if I'm going sweet, I once had an apple Danish in Mexico City that changed my life. Mm. Uh, I don't think the place is there anymore. They've stopped selling the apple danishes. My friend has gone back and tried to recreate the experience and it has not worked. <laughs> but it was like a life-changing apple danish. So I have on occasion tried to chase that high and get an apple danish and see if it compares. So far, no, but I do okay. love an apple danish. I tend to agree with you that I do prefer the savory side, but also I am allergic to poppy seeds and sesame seeds. So it can't be anything that has like everything spice on it. I did at the Walnut Creek Farmer's Market, and I don't think this is something that I'm ever going to find again, so I don't think this can be my (laughs) go-to, but I did have, it was like a puffy brioche roll 
stuffed with whipped garlic cream cheese. And then on top, it had like garlic and Parmesan sprinkled on top. And that was incredible. That sounds immaculate. It sounds wonderful. Like, I think I need more of a savory breakfast selection because I went to a pastry shop in San Francisco that was like, had more of a limited selection. It was like croissant, chocolate croissant. They had a coffee cake. I don't remember what else they had. But like in that situation, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I freeze up. It's overwhelming. Sometimes it just like give me everything. Ham and cheese croissant could be the answer. I think it's a good balance. If it's a good croissant. If not, it's just kind of like, I feel like it can get very floppy. Mm. And you don't want that. What's your Starbucks breakfast order if you ever have to do that? Uh, I'm not a huge Starbucks breakfast person myself. But um, I feel like everyone gets the conf- egg bites. Yeah. I feel like everyone gets confronted with like a situation where you're like, I don't want this, but like somehow I have to have Starbucks for breakfast. You're in a train station. Um, you're like... The turkey bacon sandwich is fine to me. The egg bites are more of like a utilitarian thing. I'm like, I just want protein in my body. It, like, I don't care about anything else. I'm going to burn the inside of my mouth mm-hmm. inevitably. What about you? Do you have a go-to there? I do like the egg white bites. Oddly, I think the egg white bites are better than the... Are those the red pepper ones? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I get. Yeah, because there's also a regular egg with like some kind of cheese and bacon in it. And I don't think those are as good. So do you like the egg white bites? I also will do the bacon egg gouda breakfast sandwich sometimes. Yeah, that's Jake's go-to. Yeah. I'm more of a cake pop person myself. If I'm going to go food at Starbucks. Oh my God, I love a cake pop. It's No, I don't like fondant. Delightful. I like the inside of a cake pop, but I really hate fondant. Oh, it's so thin though. I don't even uh-uh. think about it. They had a chocolate peppermint one over the holidays. Oh my God. It was great. We've gotten off topic here. Take me to your next thing. (laughs) My next and final thing is acts of self-kindness. And if you have any that you've been thinking about doing for yourself, because I have a very specific one since I have been feeling like shit for the past week. I'm just answering my own question. Please. (laughs) I want to create care packages for myself for different difficult times. So this is so lovely. (laughs) I had the worst, the worst period cramps of my life last month. Like I'm talking like I was going to throw up. I don't know what was happening. I'm breaking down slowly, clearly. But I was like, I wish I just had a little box of things that was going to make me feel better. So when I felt like crap, I could just go to and open it up. And so I bought some things. I bought those little heating pads that you stick to your stomach, which I'd never had before. I could like put all the medicines in there so I don't have to go like looking through everywhere in my house to find the right Advil or whatever. I don't know. I just want to create little nice moments for so myself. there's not treats for in it. It's just, bad. it's utilitarian. Well, I could, you know, I could. That's what I'm thinking. Like I could put different things in there, but I want to like go shop for them. So next time I'm feeling horrible or I have a cold or whatever, I could create a cold care package with mm. different items. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm just over here trying to parent myself like a tiny child. But do you have anything like that where you're like, I want to be nicer to myself in this specific way in the future or right now? I don't know. No, I think the biggest thing that I'm working on is how I talk to myself in my head and talking to myself the way that I would talk to you or, or somebody who is not me and giving myself more forgiveness and grace when things don't go to plan or when I'm frustrated with myself. So I feel like that's the biggest thing I'm working on self-kindness wise, which, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot of sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. I feel like ordering takeout 
usually kind of manifests as a self-kindness where I'm like, I don't want to grocery shop or cook. And I'm like, it's fine. Like we can order takeout and like somebody else will bring it to you. And (laughs) yeah, but I don't feel like that's a very good example or a very exciting example. No, I think it is. I think it definitely is because you're like taking something off your plate. Yeah. Like, okay, you can chill. (laughs) I would like to, I feel like I've gotten somewhat out of my walking routine and I feel like offering myself an afternoon walk is the self-kindness of like knowing that I will feel better. I will feel happier. I will feel less stressed if I do that. And so like treating myself like my own dog, I need to like during the pandemic, I used to always (laughs) joke that like I'm my own dog. I need to take myself out for a walk in the afternoon or else I will like start climbing the walls. And like, that's so true. And so I need to need to start treating myself like my own dog again. I'm treating myself like my own kid. Great. (laughs) You're treating yourself like your own dog. Yeah. This is, this is thirties. Here you go. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) What is your final thing? Oh my gosh. So my final thing is probably the thing that I'm most excited about. So do you remember last week when I talked about my obsession with Nora Ephron? Was that last week? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. So I read this book called I'll Have What She's Having by Aaron Carlson. And then when I get into something, I go deep. And so I subscribed to Aaron Carlson's newsletter, followed her on Instagram. Like I'm just stalking this woman. And I got an issue of her newsletter and it is called Cher and Paul Giamatti, A Missed Connection. And in it, (laughs) she tells this story that is a retelling of something that Paul Giamatti told on Howard Stern's Sirius XM show. And I have thought about it every day since reading it. And I I don't know what the rules here are on my own podcast, but I think I'm just going to read it to you and also okay. heavily suggest that you go subscribe to Aaron Carlson's Substack newsletter. It's just aaroncarlson.substack.com. Every now and then, Giamatti said, Cher's handlers will relay an urgent message from the 77-year-old icon. She really needs to talk to me. Like it's important. Like it's crucial that she talks to me. Why does she want to talk to me? No one will tell me. He will give her a call, but then, quote, I never hear anything. And then a year will go by and then it happens again. And then it goes on to say, at one point, someone at Giamatti's podcast intervened on his behalf and put in a request to speak with Cher. This prompted her to call Giamatti directly and leave a cryptic voicemail saying only, quote, I hear you want to talk to me. He called her back, but she didn't pick up. (laughs) The silence is killing me, he confessed to Stern. I'm dying to know what she wants to talk to me about. I mean, it would be great. I'd love to talk to her about anything. I don't care. It would be fantastic. And then it does go on to say, according to People, which is Aaron Carlson calls the New York Times of celebrity magazines, Cher tweeted about Giamatti two years ago, praising his acting in the 2008 HBO miniseries, John Adams. The tweet said, Paul Giamatti and Laura Linney's work, truly Oscar worthy, she raved. And then it goes on to speculate, perhaps she wants to congratulate him on his 16-year-old presidential role or his Oscar-nominated performance as a cantankerous boarding school teacher in The Holdovers or get his real feelings about Pinot Noir. I am delighted by this anecdote. Delighted. Have they ever met? No. Oh my God. How could you go about your life knowing that Cher was trying to get a hold of you, I would get nothing done. I, it was it would be all I would think about. I would go to Cher and stay outside her house until I found out. You which know, would be creepy. It sounds like this is a years long 
situation. And Paul Giamatti has probably just had to sit himself down and practice some self-kindness and being like, Paul, (laughs) you need to think about something other than why Cher is trying to get a hold of you. Because it does seem like Cher is kind of mysterious and like not easy to reach. Is Paul Giamatti single? No. Huh. Wow. What do you think it is? I have no idea, but I am delighted by this. I'm also delighted by Cher's Twitter presence in general. I don't know if she still tweets, but like she is kind of in the same vein that Martha Stewart is on Instagram, where it's like heavy chaos. Yes. Heavy chaos. But also like charming. Charming, heavy chaos. Yeah. I love Cher. (laughs) I used to rent the movie Mermaids every weekend. I don't know why I was allowed to do that because it is not appropriate for a child. (laughs) But like when I was elementary school age, I watched that all the time. I had all of Cher's cassette tapes. Like I love Cher so much. I hope that we hear what happens to this. I know. Yeah, I, like, I, I need to know. You have to know. I need to know. It haunts me. That, like, I have. It has nothing to do with me. And I think about it every day. When was this from? When did she start calling him this year? No, like a couple of years ago. Oh, because I was like, it's probably about the holdovers because it's gotten so much press. But all right. Well, I hope we find out. I hope so. Erin, at the end of the newsletter, does say that she's reached out to Cher's publicist for comment. And on the off chance, she will update accordingly. Oh, man. We'll keep us updated because I need to know how the sentence. Right? I must know. But also, what a delightfully random pairing of people. <laughs> I love it. It makes sense to me. It feels right. I don't know why. It feels weird and feels right. You know how Martha and Snoop have their like unlikely friendship? Like, What if Paul Giamatti and Cher had a similar friendship? <laughs> I would listen to that podcast. I would watch the TV show. I would go to that wedding. I would cheer <laughs> I them on in a Skechers there. ad. Same, 100%. <laughs> so those are our things. <laughs> Let's get into some end matters. So what is your obsession? My obsession is Substack. I mean, just to take this full circle to a lot of what you were saying in your high, I've been spending a lot of time on Substack. I've been using Substack as a social media platform and that I'm opening the app to scroll as opposed to scrolling Instagram sometimes. And I'm really enjoying it. I don't feel as negative about myself reading Substack, reading long form essay content or, you know, just like people's musings or there's a lot of like pep talk. Like it's a very positive place, I feel like. In the Mm -hmm. same way that I don't feel bad whenever I'm scrolling the New York Times app, like I don't feel bad about scrolling Substack, even though I'm on my phone and I'm enjoying it so much. As Olivia mentioned, I did launch a paid tier to my Substack and I'm experimenting with content there and I'm going to be publishing at least weekly. I'm excited. I feel good about it in a way that I haven't felt about a social media app in a long time. I am right there with you. I think it's delightful. Do you subscribe to Oldster? I don't think so. There's so many. (laughs) I feel like every day I'm subscribed to a new one. But what is that? It's a publication that only does interviews with people who are, I think, over 50. And they answer Q&A. And first of all, the people are all really interesting, but they talk about how they feel about aging and how they feel about Oh, that's their lives so and their work. And it's, oh, it's fascinating. Okay. I'm going to write that down right now because I was just scrolling this morning as I was telling you, and I was like, this is so much more pleasant and like healthy feeling <laughs> than anything else. Just like reading 
people's thoughts. It lights my brain up versus shutting it down. You know, like when I scroll TikTok, it's like I am looking to be distracted. I am looking to be out of my brain versus I feel like with Substack, I'm like, oh, this is making me think about things in a new way or this is giving me like ideas or different ways to think about my own life. Like it feels very positive. Absolutely. I completely agree. What's your obsession? My obsession is, I don't know what the technical name for these are, but like, you know, those globes that like makeup artists use to cool your face before you get makeup done. They're like filled with water and you put them in the fridge. No. And then they're glass. At first I thought they're you were like talking about like globes. gua sha, um, like a gua it's sha kind of like that. It's like two glass globes filled with water on sticks. And then you put them in the fridge. I got them because I had the sinus thing last week. Thank God I did. Anyway, it's kind of weird because I like have to reach past like produce to get them. And like, you're like, move the mayonnaise. Got to get my face globes. Kind of weird. But oh my God, they feel so good. Like there's something because there's two of them. Mm. And so you can't like do anything at the same time. You just have to like, oh my God, it feels so amazing. I got them at Target. I love them. I'm going to go use them after this, actually, especially if you're sick. Put them in your little care package <laughs> to yourself for when you're sick. Like they feel so good. Interesting. I have to look this up. I can I kind of picture this, but I don't think I've ever seen it. And there's something about the sound of the water. Like they're used in ASMR videos a lot, but um, it's just really soothing. Ooh. What about reading? What did you read this week? So I finished a couple things. I read The Wild One by Colleen McKeegan. This is about a group of girls who uh, meet at a summer camp and this really tragic event kind of ties them together and brings them together again throughout their adult lives. I really loved this one. It's a very quick read. So if you're looking for something on the shorter side, it's kind of like a mix between Jessica Goodman's book, The Counselors, and Mm -hmm. then something like a little more like dark and adult. I don't know, not like The Quiet Tenant or something, but it talks a lot about like the dark side of friendship, especially when you're really young, like 12, 13, Mm. and how you just want to fit in so badly. And I thought it just spoke to that in a really interesting way. So I enjoyed that one. And then I also read Rabbit Hole by Kate Brody. This one has been all over (laughs) our Geneva group. People have been wanting to talk about this one. Okay. So this is one of the darkest books I've ever read. Like speaking of The Quiet Tenant, it makes The Quiet Tenant look like a walk in the park. It is dark, like dark, dark, dark. But I loved this. Like I could not, could not, could not, could not stop reading it. Like I had to force myself to go to bed one night. It's a mystery at the core of it. I talked about it a few weeks ago on here, but it's about a woman whose sister went missing 10 years prior. And then her dad ends up dying by suicide on the anniversary of her sister's disappearance. And it's on the more literary side. Like it's not a tip, like a whodunit really, but I loved it, but my God, it is dark. Like I, it's very dark. If you like dark things, you'll like it. But like, if you're like, I don't know, I would not. But if you're like me, (laughs) you might like it. But yeah, if you're searching for a happy ending, just don't. (laughs) What did you read? I feel like people are going to be jealous because I read two of my most anticipated books of the year. I brought my Kindle with me to San Francisco because I didn't want to travel with books. And I had arcs of the first thing I read was The Rom-Commers by Catherine Center, which comes out June 11th. I'm forever more in my Catherine Center era now. But Catherine Center writes like clean, closed door romances that are usually like on the quirkier side, I feel like. And so this one is about a 
woman who is an aspiring screenwriter who gets the break of a lifetime to go rewrite the screenplay for her screenwriting idol, only to find out that he's a ginormous jackass. And, (laughs) you know, she needs the money, whatever. So she gets she gets sucked into working with him and hijinks ensue. Great. I think this might be my favorite of her books so far. It is emotional. It's not quite like as emotional as things you save in a fire or what you wish for. It's like it is to me more akin to the bodyguard if you are familiar with her canon, but I really enjoyed this one. And it's also an ode to rom-coms. So I obviously enjoyed that a ton. And then on my plane ride back from San Francisco, I read in almost one sitting Summer Romance by Annabelle Monahan, which is out on June 4th. And this one is about a professional organizer whose life is a complete mess. Her mom has died two years ago. She's still grieving she's getting a divorce and she kind of has like lost control of her own life. And she meets this guy and starts what she tells herself is going to be a summer fling. And obviously it has much more repercussions than that. I loved this. I love the way Annabelle Monaghan writes. I feel like her books are generally on the shorter side and there's like no fat in them. Like it moves really quickly. And I also love that she usually writes about protagonists that are in their like late 30s or 40s. Like it's definitely not like young single girl. Like this is, I think she's 38 and she's a mother of three. And it just feels really different relative to a lot of the rom-coms that I read. And I really enjoyed it despite not being a mother myself. I have this advanced copy and I'm really looking forward to reading it soon since I've only been reading dark tales. I loved it. I fell so hard for the male love interest and I was rooting so hard for the female protagonist. Like I shipped these people so hard. Oh, good. Sounds lovely. Well, if none of those appeal to you, we also have our February book club coming up next week and we're reading Good Material by Dolly Alderton. It's told from a male point of view and it's about a couple who break up and the guy decides to devote himself to figuring out why his ex-girlfriend stopped loving him. And it's very funny. It's so funny. A lot of like observational humor. This is also by the author who wrote Ghosts, which we did for our Bad on Paper book club a couple of years ago. So highly recommend checking it out. And we're going to be discussing it next week on the February 28th episode. If you want to discuss any of this, you can talk to us in the Facebook group, which is under Bad on Paper Podcast, or in the Geneva group, which is also under Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And I am on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.